0: From Capital Broadcasting Company, this is WRAL Out and About. I'm Ashley Roddy. This is a show all about everything fun happening in the Triangle, especially yummy food. But today we're talking about music, specifically disco, with musician and writer Billy Warden, who just wrote about the rise and fall of disco for WRAL.com. Take a listen to this interview with Billy and Jessica Patrick.
1: Hi there. Welcome to the Out and About podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Patrick, and I'm joined by Billy Warden today. So Billy is a musician. He's a writer, but I'm just going to let this disco expert introduce himself.
2: (laughs) I don't know if you could call me a disco expert. If you saw me on the floor, you wouldn't say expert. (laughs) But yes, I'm a a writer and uh, just penned a piece on the fall and rise of disco for wrl.com and a marketing executive from gbw strategies and a band leader uh, rock band leader and i was around during the disco era only 11 at the height of it but still i can remember
1: did you listen to it when you were 11.
2: my parents and and everybody in my family the grown-ups loved it and as a 10 11 year old you see your aunts and uncles getting up in the living room to to get down to it with the hustle, <laughs> and it's it was really a wonderful thing. And then when I got to be a teenager, and you know how teenagers take that turn and hate everything that their parents are about, yeah, you know, then I, then I got exposed to the whole anti disco campaign. And I've always been fascinated by what happened with disco and yeah. and how it represents tribes coming together and how then the fall of it kind of represents the way tribalism drives people apart. And that's a big part of what the story is about.
1: It is. Everyone, when I said Billy was a disco expert, I'm referencing a story he submitted to us to WR Out and About this week. And the story tells a lot about what Raleigh's disco scene was like in the 70s and it also talks about this anniversary we're coming up on um, where just a couple days away now, July 12th, will be the 40th anniversary of what you called the disco demolition.
2: Yeah, July 12th, the disco demolition. There was a DJ up in Chicago who had worked at a rock station and then the rock station went disco and he lost his job and he became one of the famous, infamous disenfranchised and put together these promotions where people would blow up disco records and scream disco sucks. And the biggest one, the one that you're referencing, happened at uh, Comiskey Park during a White Sox doubleheader. And he went out on the field and blew up disco records. And the audience went nuts and stormed the field and trashed the park, and the second game of the doubleheader had to be canceled, and that was in 1979, after disco had really ruled the charts for about three, four, maybe even five years. Uh, And there was this pent-up animosity toward it, which is kind of fascinating what led to all that.
1: Don't you just wish, like, I I wish I was there and I could have seen that. But I imagine that would have also been very scary.
2: <laughs> you could have got hurt. That is for sure. Wow. But the disco demolition sort of was the zenith of the anti disco campaign. And the reasons for that campaign we get into uh, quite a bit in the article. But to your earlier question, like, what was the scene like? You know, so that happened in Chicago. Obviously, Studio 54 was in Manhattan, and New York City was really ground zero of disco uh but in raleigh in the article we talked to a guy named lee webb who managed a lot of those disco clubs uh players and staying alive Mm -hmm. uh that were in raleigh and did killer business you know north carolina has this great tradition of beach music and shagging so north carolina i think was primed for disco. In addition to Lee's Clubs, there was 2001. They did uh, some disco nights at Elliott's Nest in the Cameron Village Underground. And that doesn't even touch on roller disco and what was going on in the skate rinks at the time. Arthur Murray classes here were uh, overflow capacity crowds. YMCA started giving disco (laughs) lessons. (laughs) So it really was this huge craze. And then underneath that was this bubbling animosity. In the story, we talked to Byron McKay, who founded a seminal punk rock band here in the Triangle of the Cigarettes. And he says that disco is one of the reasons he got the cigarettes together, that punk band, to push back against what he calls the polyester culture of disco. Really? Yeah, and, and that was happening all over the country, punk songs coming out, the traditional rock fans, the, you know, the fans of The Who and Led Zeppelin pushing back against disco as disco took over the airwaves. And disco would provide some crucial DNA for hip-hop, but even some of those early hip-hop DJs didn't like the, I guess, polyester, uh, plastic image of mm-hmm. disco, those early, early pioneering DJs, or at least that's what they say today. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the negative Did you side you say
1: you either loved it or hated it?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because there was so much love for disco too. And it's good this day and age to focus on the love sometimes. Yes. So it, uh, disco kind of came out of these different tribes coming together in the early 70s in Chiefly in New York City, uh, you had uh, African American music in the, in the form of funk and uh, some of the elements of soul. Uh, those fantastic harmonies in Motown—they were an sen- that was an essential ingredient. Um, then you had Latino culture and its dance rhythms and its long and great tradition of going out and dancing, Mm -hmm. and then mixed into that stew, you brought gay culture, um, which was just emerging and forming its own identity after, you know, decades, centuries of being kept in the shadows. And in in New York City, this was happening. And so you had this mix of uh, African-American music, Latino music, and um, emerging gay culture, at a club called The Loft in New York City, kind of it all came together and created this disco scene, which was about celebrating. Mm-hmm. You know, the the charges of disco being plastic and polyester kinda of stem from the fact that it was a celebratory music from the get go. It was mm-hmm. about like being your best self and trying to connect with somebody else in a magical way on that dance floor.
1: Yeah, despite all your differences.
2: Yeah. And letting all yeah, all of your troubles just melt away as you became a dancing machine.
1: You know what I really love about this is I love how it seems like Disco is kind of what set the example for now when young people or people of all ages go out to clubs and go dancing. I mean, with the with the disco ball and the and the lighting, I mean, it just, that came from disco, right?
2: The, I'm glad you mentioned the atmospherics of it all because that was a huge part of it. The flashing lights, the strobes. Of course, the mirror ball is the, the signature mm-hmm. image. It was all designed to make you forget your everyday life and live out this fantasy from, you know, 9 p.m. to when the club closed at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. You became a different person, a carefree person, uh, a sexy person. You became all those things uh, that you really wanted to be. And you see that in Saturday Night Fever, you know, in John Travolta's character. He's this, he's this working chump kind of a guy in the boroughs, but at night... He's this superstar, you know, uh, on the dance floor, and you know that's what it was about. Um, and some people felt left out of that. Yeah. So you have these different tribes coming together that are sort of outsiders. You know, they're not they're not the rock royalty. You know, rock was yeah. firmly in control of things. They come together as outsiders, create this new genre that comes complete with a fashion statement mm-hmm. in addition to the musical signatures, and then in this meteoric rise, they're on top of the business for yeah. four or five years. And um, some folks <laughs> took that very personally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know what I thought was so interesting is the Lincoln Theater. For all you people who go out in downtown Raleigh, you know, the Lincoln Theater. I've been to several concerts there myself. That was a discotheque.
2: It was. It was called Gillies. Huge dance floor. Uh, all the lights and all the fixins. They didn't have stools at the bar. They had rope swings, which I think is so cool. And we saw a picture of that when we we went to the State Archive to look for some of these photos.
1: Yeah, this was so cool. So last week, Billy and I went to the State Archives in downtown Raleigh, and Ian there helped us. He helped us we i had to wear little white gloves to make sure i didn't damage the <laughs> historical photos and we we picked out some really neat photos of people dancing and couples just you know sitting at a bar together and this was these were couples out in Raleigh yeah in the 70s and it just the hair we could see the hairstyles it was amazing and we're going to put those photos on the website with Billy's story this week
2: yeah you picked some really good ones and to that point Lee Webb, the manager of some of those disco clubs, talks in the story about going to Studio 54 and uh, wanting to scope out the Manhattan discos and bringing back some of the elements he saw there and, you know, trying to recreate them in Raleigh and doing that and drawing huge crowds. I mean, he describes the crowds wrapping around the block on a Friday or Saturday night at the Raleigh discos. Drawing from uh, Raleigh, from Raleigh suburbs, but drawing from cities, you know, miles and miles away, people wanted to experience this disco phenomenon. One thing that's not in the story that is kind of funny to me is that when Lee went to Studio 54 to scope it out, he couldn't get in because Studio 54 was notoriously uh, exclusionary, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you were a member of the Rolling Stones or uh, the mayor of the city, you could get in, but most commoners could not get in. And and that sort of elitist image hurt disco around the country in ways that was unfortunate because that wasn't the scene in North Carolina. I mean, you know, the, everybody was welcome, but it was so played up at Studio yeah. 54 that Lee couldn't even get into Studio 54 to scope it out. So he relied on the photos he saw and then went out to some of the other discos and saw how they were doing it.
1: Oh, my gosh. Billy, can you tell us a little bit about, you, you hinted on this a little, but what was North Carolina's disco scene like compared to maybe the disco scene in New York or in LA in big cities
2: it was a, it was a lot different mm-hmm. but the because you had in in those cities la Chicago New York Miami uh, you have the just long running tradition of the club scene and getting together for a sophisticated night out that would involve music of some kind. I mean, it could have been big band at one point could be jazz, you know, uh, and it became disco and that melting pot. Part of what makes disco so much fun was built into those cities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you would be there uh, with a racially mixed crowd. You'd be there with, um, you know, straight folks. And you'd be there with uh, gay folks who were who were just coming out of the shadows and, and really getting into the yeah. dancing and living out a life in the spotlight instead of in the shadows. You know, North Carolina was a little different. North Carolina would be much more conservative than New York City. Uh, and and chiefly from what I heard talking to folks, you, you get a lot of The strivers, you Mm -hmm. know, like what you might call what in the 80s might be called yuppies or, you know, people who have had ambition. They they want it to experience life and they want it to climb the ladder and being part of the disco phenomenon. Yeah buying that suit, you know, making an investment in your suit or mm-hmm. your satin dress, and then going out and preparing to spend lots of money on uh, cocktails, And which there was interesting ways to get around the uh, liquor laws there <laughs> that some of the clubs employed to actually make those kind of fancy yeah. cocktails. But the disco was pitched in North Carolina as kind of an elevated nightlife experience. Yeah. And in the story, Lee talks about it being Raleigh's coming of age in terms of nightlife.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what happened when Disco died? What well, was that what was that like? I mean besides what happened in Chicago, what happened in Raleigh?
2: Yes. The silver lining is that Disco didn't really die, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about, but it did <laughs> It did did have a major cardiac arrest, we'll say, (laughs) after the disco uh, demolition. Uh, And Nile Rodgers of the great band Chic, who, you know, I mean, Nile Rodgers, just fantastic. Uh, Freak Out, Good Times, so many great songs. He writes very poignantly about this in his memoir that... Here's Chic and other disco acts, and they think they're all on the same pop music team. Rock mm-hmm. music is part of that. Disco is part of that. R&B soul. And and suddenly, uh, as Niall describes it, the media starts pitting Chic uh, and other disco acts versus the Knack. Remember the Knack with My Sharona? And that was supposed to be the return of rock. Yeah. And, you know, media loves a car crash, uh, literal or metaphorical that's true and so here was here comes the knack and my Sharona representing rock and they're doing 80 miles per hour and oh here comes oh. disco going the other way. oh look they collide you know and, and that's exploded. how it was portrayed mm-hmm. and then disco the disco demolition happens and now Rogers describes how heartbreaking it was that suddenly the industry abandoned disco and it was cast as a you know as a big joke. Yeah. and what that meant in Raleigh to that scene was that, Folks didn't want to come out in their white suits anymore. And so those disco clubs put away the mirror balls, and some of them became urban cowboy bars. (laughs) So, you know, they put away the mirror ball, and they bought a mechanical bowl, and they they switched up the playlist, and suddenly they were on the urban cowboy craze. Some of the smarter clubs never got rid of the live band. So one of the things that concerned disco's detractors was that the disco was a very studio-centric form of music. And the live bands were getting pushed out in uh, in favor of DJs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, musicians worried about, and some did lose work in the clubs. The smart clubs did the disco thing and had the DJs, Mm -hmm. but they never lost the live music component completely. So that when disco collapsed as a commercial force, the bands just came back to the forefront. And those clubs kind of repositioned in a little bit. But the music, disco seeded lots more music, which has really come to dominate. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think disco gets the last laugh. Um, We mentioned hip-hop and the fact that while these disco records were still hot, DJs were using them as the sort of the backtracks for rapping, and the rhythm was perfect, and Rapper's Delight comes out and hits the charts in 1980, goes top 40, and that's really the beginning of hip-hop and of course hip-hop has dominated for the last several decades Mm -hmm. new wave the story quotes Mitch Easter the great Raleigh I mean the great North Carolina record producer and performer uh, talking about how it was weird to see disco just become new wave new wave really pushed that robotic part of some disco to new extremes and it's essentially disco with sort of an eccentric uh twist on it uh and and then new wave becomes edm electronic dance music and house music and you have the band new order releasing blue monday in the mid 80s it's a disco song with mm-hmm. some important variations and becomes the seminal song for what so much alternative music is going to sound like. Oh my gosh. So disco, you know, it didn't get demolished no. at the disco it's an demolition. Influencer. Exactly.
1: Oh wow. So your band wind down here, what advice would you give someone out there who maybe someone who wants to listen to disco again, maybe someone young out there who is just interested by the idea. Do you have any advice on some favorite tracks of yours or something they could do or somewhere they could go to?
2: Yeah, well, Spotify is a great place to find some of the great early disco songs. Mm-hmm. I would go back and look and listen to some of the songs that are credited with the roots of disco. A good place to start is The Love I Lost uh, by Harold Melvin and mm-hmm. the Blue Notes. And mm-hmm. listen to those drums, because that is a live drummer putting down the beat that would become the beat of all uh, disco. Harold wow. Melvin's in the Blue Notes, The Love I Lost. Just fantastic. Uh, Soul Makassa is a song that was imported to the United States. Heavily, you know, African rhythms, um, very stark. It's all about the rhythm, uh, not so much the melody, You know, in contrast with what Motown would bring to disco, uh, those fantastic melodies. Soul Macasa was very much we're gonna dance and we can dance for hours to this song and that's really interesting to listen Mm -hmm. to in light of what we know is going to come what that's going to morph into Mm -hmm. Uh, Donna Summer to get to our point about gender and what disco meant to a lot of women uh, just all those early Donna Summer records are so great and she so embraced her sexuality I mean just it was just right there it was really startling you know it was so sexy and fantastic (laughs) Uh, and then Chic, um, Nile Rodgers, and and that group wrote so many great pop songs that you can dance to uh, that are called you know disco, but survived to this day at weddings. Mm-hmm. And, you know those are the songs you hear because yeah. they tapped into something that is uh, eternal. Mm-hmm. And Saturday Night Fever is the, is is a great. Uh, composite of many many good disco songs, and you know people make fun of the Bee Gees, but I mean jive talking—that is a just so nimble and light on its feet little funk jam. I mean, it's fantastic.
1: What's wrong with the Bee Gees? My mom and I love the Bee Gees. <laughs> That's right. On a recent <laughs> um, on a recent road trip, she asked me to play the Bee Gees. So
2: yeah, and does it sound like fever Pandora stuff?
1: And played the Bee Gees. I don't know.
2: But they I mean maybe. just uh, so so good. And then listen to what you know, Rapper's Delight. Uh, from sugar hill gang um, listen to new orders blue monday mm-hmm. um, because then you get the road map ahead for uh, disco
1: mm-hmm. also maybe good advice buy a mirror ball and maybe <laughs> some bell bottoms <laughs> if you don't already own them <laughs> let's bring
2: it back the wide collared shirts <laughs> this is you know of course silk and satin
1: sure i can find something in the closet that would yeah. work
2: i'll see you on the dance floor
1: yes i'll see you on the dance floor billy
0: Thanks again to Billy Warden for chatting with us. If you want to know more about any of these topics, you can go to wral.com slash out and about. Please follow us on social media at out and about on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where you can also share with us all the cool stuff you're seeing, doing, and especially eating. This podcast is a production of CBC New Media, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. If you liked what you heard, please give us a rating, a review, and share with your friends. Plus, you can always subscribe using your favorite podcast listening app. Till next time.